0: Perfect.
1: I have I have just found the new link you sent me, Todd. I'm, right. so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We've been we, we uh, have been limping by our computers got hacked by some pros. And so we're,
0: we've wow. all of our
1: email abilities and we've moved to an emergency system and it's got things in a bit of a mess.
0: Well, Mark, that you would take the time to be with us <laughs> in the midst of all of that is uh, a great grace. Good morning. It's great to see you, Mark. It's good to see you. I'm so stoked about what we've got going with you at the
1: library. It has just really got me excited.
0: You're a a remarkable man, Mark. Hey, so everyone, welcome to Todd Talks. Uh, This is my guest, Mark Lanier. Let me tell you, in the event that you don't know, a bit about Mark. So Mark is a trial lawyer, and he's the founder of the Lanier Law Firm. And his work for clients is across the country, but it's supported by offices in Houston, New York, and Los Angeles. Uh, when you look at these lists of uh, best lawyers in America, uh, perennially, you're going to find Mark's name uh, on that list. But Mark is uh, a, a lawyer in a very successful and faithful one at that, but uh, he's, uh, he's more than that. Mark is the founder of the Lanier Theological Library, which has been my real connection with Mark, and we're going to talk about this uh, a bit uh, as we go, and it's one of the largest uh, personal collections, private library theological collections in the world. But the beautiful thing is is that Mark and his team at Lanier, they make it available and accessible uh, to others. Mark uh, teaches a Sunday school class at Champion Forest Baptist Church on biblical literacy week after week after week. If it weren't enough to be a trial lawyer, he prepares a Sunday school class that uh, has an attendance Uh, probably now uh, in um, uh, Zoom room times, probably over a thousand, I would assume, Mark, week after week. Let me tell you just a few other things about Mark, and then I want us to begin a conversation. Mark is the founder of the Christian Trial Lawyers Association. This is a fascinating not-for-profit organization whose goal is to create a network of principled attorneys to minister to others through civic-minded endeavors. Mark is married to Becky. They live in Houston and they are parents to five children, including a couple of Baylor Bears. So uh, Mark, it is is great uh, to to be together today. I thought that it might be fun uh, to begin by uh, you're just sharing uh, with us, Mark, how is it, that you develop such a love for scripture, uh, for theology, that has, in some ways, although it's been your avocation, it's animated everything that you've done over the course of your uh, life and career. So why don't we start there? Well, Todd,
1: I grew up uh, in, a, in a Christian home. Uh, I came into a personal relationship of uh, uh, myself with the Lord when I was in middle school. And it was very uh, uh, real to me, and it has never lost its reality. It has only grown deeper. And so as I was in high school, I took my faith very seriously. We couldn't take Greek or Hebrew in high school where I went, but I could take Latin. And so I started with Latin, knowing it would make Greek easier for me. And I got an intern at our church to start teaching me Greek. And then when I got to university level, uh, I was able to get a degree in Hebrew and, and biblical. Well, actually, no, it's just a Greek degree. It's not biblical Greek. I took a lot of classical Greek as well, uh, Xenophon and, and uh, a number of other things that we read. Um, uh, and and I, I wanted and had initially thought I would either go into grad school to teach on a university level for these things or I would preach and, and I because I also had a, a seminary degree and the denomination I grew up in was rolled into the undergraduate degree. So I had a dual degree. And, and I was offered an opportunity to go preach. Uh, I sat down with my minister uh, that I had grown up under and asked him what I should do. The minister said to me, uh, uh, Lanier, um, do you believe that you must be baptized to get admission into heaven, which was a peculiarity of the denomination I'd grown up in. And I said, no, sir, by grace, you're saved through faith, lest any man should boast. Uh, uh, You know, and when Paul wants an example in Romans of of salvation by faith, he uses Abraham and Abraham, you know, clearly wasn't uh, baptized. And uh, uh, he said, okay. He said, do you believe that instrumental music is wrong? because that was another peculiarity of my denomination. And I said, uh, let everything with breath praise the Lord, harp and stringed instruments, so the Psalms say. And if I read Revelation right there's trumpets in heaven. And he, he said, okay. He said, do you believe the Holy Spirit can do anything other than quicken our hearts to Scripture, which was another peculiarity within my denomination at the time. And I said, the Holy Spirit's God. God can do anything God wants to do. I don't put God in a box and tell him where his boundaries are. And he says, okay, this is what I was afraid of. And I said, what? He says, you've gone away. You've come back. He says, best case scenario, you're a Baptist. Worst case scenario, you're Pentecostal. He said, either way, what you need to do is you need to go to law school. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, go to law school, but promise me you're going to tithe your income. And I said, Ken, what does that have to do with our discussion he said hey I want you to go to law school so you can teach Sunday school and he says if you're tithing lawyer income there's not a church in the country that won't let you teach Sunday school regardless of what you believe and so uh, so I decided that law school must be the the, the vocation that must uh, generate the income but my passion has never left uh, the 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 Lord's uh, work that's more uh, directly associated with his word. Uh, So I've spent a good bit of this week uh, translating Galatians. I still live in the the Greek and the Hebrew texts and have for the last almost, well, over 40 years at this point. And so that's my joy in life.
0: That's amazing. And Galatians is not uh, especially easy Greek at points, is it?
1: No, uh, but that's some of what makes it fun at this point. Uh, uh, you know, you can sit there and read the easy stuff, but but I've read the easy stuff. Um, you know, my, my Hebrew has slipped enough to where if I sit there and try to read some of the hard stuff, and the hard stuff for me in Hebrew, um, uh, uh, the Proverbs are really hard because yeah. there are so many different ways to take those yeah. uh, uh, things. Uh, um, some of the poetry... Uh, can be very difficult as well. Um, but but you know, who's going to get joy out of just sitting there and reading Ruth every week? you know? Um, uh, so yeah.
0: Oh, so Mark, your 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 passion for scripture and uh, for the study of the same uh, was really at the foundation of the creation of the Lanier Theological Library. Talk to us about this. This is an amazing uh, place. If um, those who are listening have never been out online to look at the Lanier Theological Library or better, if you can get to Houston, uh, go visit it. Talk to us, Mark, about uh, the, the library, its creation uh, its uh, a- and its ongoing work and expansion.
1: Okay, I'm really stoked about this. Thank you for giving me a chance to talk about it. The creation of the library arose honestly, from a quite selfish motive, um, uh, I, I, I do teach, I do write, uh, I do publish, um, and, and I do so as, uh, in two arenas. I do it as a lawyer constantly, um, whether I'm filing briefs in court or whether I'm publishing books that are legal related. Um, I do it as a believer, whether I'm writing for, for classes or writing manuscripts or writing for uh, uh, books. Um, or chapters, or whatever it may be. And so uh, the, the the training that I've gotten as a lawyer influences the way I think and write as a biblicist, an armchair uh, theologian, if you will. And uh, uh, so one of the keys to that is I, in legal circles, could never get away with citing what in Biblical circles would be the equivalent of a commentary. Unless there was just some certain language that was of use in that commentary. You know, I, if I wanted to cite C.K. Barrett on, on a, uh, him talking about law in, in his Romans commentary, he references law as the human effort, and I love this phrase, to scale God's throne, which, you know, and, and so if I wanted to grab that quotation, from Barrett, that's a legitimate reason to cite a commentary. But in general, in legal circles, you're taught to go to original authentic sources. And so uh, uh, you do the research on a source level that, that is is first line source. So I need to look at the text of Galatians to see what it says, and not quote what uh, uh, somebody says in a commentary that Galatians says. And, and, and that mentality means I need as much original source material as I can. And so I told my wife, look, I think it's gonna take 75,000 volumes for me to really have the library I'd like at hand. And she says, there is no way to justify that, Mr. Lanier. That's, that's, that's the, <laughs> your, your, your appetite has, has outgrown the justification. So I sat down with my pastor at the time, Uh, Now, the director of of our development center, uh, but David Fleming. And I said, Man, Becky's like, and and he looked at me and he said, Well, she's right. And I said, She is. He says, Yeah, you can't build your own library for yourself. He says, If you're going to do that, you got to do it for the kingdom. You got to do it for something other than Mark Lanier. And I said, Oh, man, good point. So I went back to my wife, sweet Becky, and I said, Hey, what about if we did a library and we opened it up for the world and we let everybody come use it and we really pushed it? And she says that I would be behind. And so that's what the genesis behind it. And it's turned into this incredible opportunity. We have had over 5,000 patrons at the library in its first 10 years and the next 10 year scope. And this is something I referenced just coming on. And some of your earlier attendees maybe heard me say this Um, But Todd, you've been helping us develop this library in ways where we can expand it even further. And your insights and ideas have have really helped us. And I thank you for those publicly and and other people as well because we are building right now a 35,000 square foot learning center where we've got a number of of universities that wanna use it to offer extension courses. We've got uh, seminaries that are interested. We've got uh, uh, opportunities to, to set up office spaces and study carols and have, have uh, uh, um, uh, just a massive use of our facilities. And we're frankly stoked about it. Our question is, uh, how big can we dream? Because we know God is able to do exceedingly more abundantly than anything we can dream if we keep the motivation right and it's within his will to do so.
0: This looks like to me a theology of surplus and is absolutely uh, in keeping with the Mark Lanier I know. Absolutely wonderful. Hey, so Mark, um, you know, uh, in addition to the Lanier Learning Center that is going to be a part of the Lanier Theological Library, there are ongoing activities that uh, in non COVID times uh, uh, attract so many to the chapel and even to ancillary rooms as there is overflow often. Uh, Share with folks about some of the ongoing lectures that you all have done and will continue to do uh, at the library.
1: Well, all of our lectures are online. And so people can access these that I'll reference from the past, but we'll also be able to access into the future. We live stream them to a number of different college campuses, and, and uh, uh, we, we really try to make these lectures worldwide. Uh, we, we started out with just a, a theology professor from Pepperdine, uh, who was kind of our guinea pig, Ron Highfield. And he gave a lecture 10 years ago on can a theologian also be saved? And uh, uh, it, it was a, a, a marvelous lecture. Um, we've expanded and, and once we figured out this works, we started bringing in friends and associates and, and folks that, that we've either known or gotten to know. So uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright's been down multiple, three or four occasions he's set to come into the future. Um, Alistair McGrath, Peter Williams, uh, 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 Richard Baucom, uh, all of that retinue, uh, Larry Hurtado before he passed, um, all of that retinue from England is, has been in, have given lectures, have participated on panels, as have you, uh, Todd. We've had a huge assortment of people from the United States. So whether it's John Piper or D.A. Carson or, or um, uh, any number of people, uh, uh, we've, we've had those. We've had the Bible translator set. So we've had Simon Gather-Cole in, uh, who's in IV. Um, we've had uh, uh, Mounts. We've had a number of others uh, from those perspectives. Uh, we've had, um, heavens, we had uh, our Greek Orthodox friend, Father Justin, who's the librarian at St. Catherine's Monastery, uh, come in and just put on a spectacular presentation. Um, uh, and and so uh, we've had a wide assortment from across the array. We've had uh, uh, even some good Jewish scholars who've come in. Uh, we had one, uh, uh, Rabbi Skolnick, come in and give a, a Jewish perspective on the book of Daniel. Um, we've, we've put on seminars that are weekend seminars on the authenticity of the Exodus on covenant and, and uh, trying to reconstruct a theology of covenant, uh, whether it's from the Barit perspective of the Hebrew concept uh, the diatheke uh, uh, of the Greek concept. Uh, but, but how has the biblical concept of covenant and law been affected uh, 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 and maybe we could heighten our understanding of it. Um, uh, so we've had all sorts of, of seminars. We continue to have right now, even in the midst of COVID, we have a faith in science seminar that's happening once a week on Tuesday nights. It was last night. We have uh, Tuesday, 10 weeks in the spring and 10 in the fall, a Tuesday night devotional time where we do a, a theology talk, but we have singing out of the hymnal acapella in our chapel. The chapel is a re- replica of one built in 500 AD, a Byzantine chapel uh, uh, from what was, uh, we would know as Cappadocia, um, Southern Turkey, Northern Syria. And 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 so it's got two foot thick stone walls and it's just really got great acoustics for the acapella singing. So we've got ongoing things that are just really marvelous. We invite everybody who'd be interested to join for any or all of it. And
0: Mark, um week in, week out, day in, day out, you have um, an open library. Uh, Now, it's a not-for-loan library. It, like Tyndale House, is a place where you come and you use the resources there. But even during COVID, I understand, you continue to have some access uh, to the library. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so we'll have 25 patrons at any certain time during the day. Um, We are are moving that to expand it in size. The library is almost 20,000 square feet. So there's plenty of room there. Uh, We've got kicking fast internet. And so uh, uh, we find that we've got a lot of people who come. We've also got ultra high speed scanners so that people who need to take something away while we're not a circulation library that enables them to do so, they can scan so fast that they've got either on a hard drive or they've got uh, uh, on a jump drive, or they've got an ability to email it, or heavens, they can run it out on paper if they're the old type that are paper lovers. And so we've got that availability as well. One of the key features that I love that I was talking to one of the local ministers who's using the library uh, just the other day is uh, we have a standing rule that if there's a resource you want that we do not have, we will do our dead level best to get it within 24 hours. And that's the way we're always trying to up the game. So we're one of the few libraries that has all five volumes, for example, of Kathleen Kenyon's original dig reports uh, that she did in, when was it? It'd be 51 to 59 or whatever over in Jericho. And 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 it, these are the actual dig report volumes that show each of her you know, uh, matters. We've got libraries that we've accumulated from some really great people. We just recently entered into an agreement with John Warwick Montgomery who's got 50,000 volume library over um, uh, in France. Um, uh, He's in his 90s and we will be taking his library from him uh, uh, at some point in the future. It's under contract if not before then upon his demise Uh, uh, and we'll be setting up a new room that's exclusively dedicated to him and his library. Uh, We've got some amazing ancient manuscripts. We've got amazing original works. Um, We've got uh, uh, some really cool stuff that a lot of people like to just come and look through.
0: Well, uh, once again, friends, uh, if if you haven't been to the Lanier Theological Library, you need to look at it uh, online and then you need to uh, go. It's a location destination. So Mark, let's pivot a tad. Uh, so um, you, you have um, uh, a God-given uh, passion for uh, scripture that you've cultivated over time. You've created this remarkable resource that is the Lanier Theological Library and uh, you've made it widely uh, accessible to people. So um, Mark, I'm wondering if you might reflect on how other, if, if I can put it this way, uh, lay folks, that is to say those who are ministers, but aren't in quote, uh, full-time vocational ministry, how, re- reflect on how they might uh, perhaps become more involved? What, what might be a portal? What might be a pathway for them? And, and why is it important?
1: Okay, so um, let me reverse those, and let me talk about the importance first. Um, uh, all of us should be seeking to better understand God. Uh, to understand God in a relationship is the highest human calling on an individual basis, in my opinion. In that way, we give praise to God because we, tr- we, we we let him be God and we assume our position as the created one who he has brought into this existence for the purposes of showing us love and teaching us to love him. And so if, if knowing God is our ultimate goal and knowing it in the... Uh, Hebrew sense of of yada are in the Greek sense of, of gnosko. It, it's the the i or ginosko, it, It's the idea of of an intimate relationship, not a head knowledge only, but a knowledge of us as a human being, a, a whole corporate being. Uh, 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 you know, I we are we are more than our minds, if you will, more than our brain waves. Um, and so if that is the, the highest and best calling of humanity, to know God, um, then how do we do that? Well, we do that in experience. We do that by walking with him, but we also do that by studying his revelation. And his revelation to us is both in the world around us, when I uh, consider the heavens, the work of Thy fingers, the moon and the stars, you know, that, that's knowledge that God's revealed to us, the book of nature, as as some would say, but it's also scripture itself. And so um, what I've tried to do with the library, but what I try to do with my life is grow before the Lord in all of the ways that I can. So that means experientially. So when I'm experiencing suffering or turmoil, I mentioned at the start of this, our, uh, we got hacked. Uh, our law firm got hacked. So we're trying to figure out how to do different things right now in different ways. Um, uh, but it, it's, I can grow spiritually and my knowledge of God in that, because that's the assurance Paul says in Romans 5, that we can rejoice in suffering because suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, And hope doesn't disappoint us because of who we're hoping in, and he's put His spirit inside us, which means this is relationship-based faith. This is relationship-based hope, and that hope that elpis in the Greek is not a a lottery ticket. It's a confident expectation. Remember, it's the hope. Uh, uh, That's the same word that's used in Acts 16 when Paul is, is in Macedonia, and and that uh, woman with a spirit of divination is following him around. And finally, Paul just gets ticked off. Well, it says that 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 woman, that slave woman had brought her owners much gain. And then Paul drives the demon out and the owners see that their hope of gain is gone. That's the same word, El It's not a lottery hope. It's just what they expected. They thoroughly expected. That's what we've got, Paul says. And so that's experientially, but it's also in our our growth of our study of God, because how could I have used this example if I wasn't spending time in the word? If I wasn't, so you've got lay people and lay people may say, well, I don't know Greek. How am I supposed to know that's what El Peace is? There are marvelous resources out there that will kick your game up, notches unknown. And so you can be a lay person and you can go and 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 it's like The proverbial metaphor of the Gospel of John, that it's shallow enough for you to wade in and enjoy, but deep enough for elephants to swim. And and resources for us are the same way. So you can get started with good general resources. And we've got great people at the library to help you with this. So David Cates, who'd been dean of New Testament something or another, at Wheaton before he came to us, who taught Greek for 20 years at HPU before that, who does adjunct teaching, I believe, for Truett, at least one class or so. Um, uh, David Capes is full-time at the library to be a resource for people who can come in and say, yeah, I'd like a primer on this. I want to get more, in, I want to learn more, I want to dive in more. How could you help me with this? I get those questions all, all the time, uh, maybe because I'm I'm more suited for the shallower look. I don't know, but... But uh, 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 I think everybody can learn to swim and they're at different levels, but come, let us be your aid in helping to learn to swim.
0: That's wonderful. Mark, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, Do you have time for me to ask you one more question? I got all the time in the world, Todd. My time is Todd Talk time. Well, uh, I'm just glad that I'm not having to pay by the billable hour. Hey, uh, <laughs> no. hey Mark, um, so uh, obviously you've been a, a, an, a, an immensely successful trial lawyer. And I think that for those who are joining us today that are joining us from uh, that side of the aisle, uh, that they would be deeply appreciative of hearing your reflections on how you have brought your Christian faith and commitments to bear on your uh, very successful and I would say also uh, uh, pivotal law practice, which is often uh, advocating for those who find themselves uh, on the margins, uh, those who find themselves um, upside down as a result of something that's been done to them. You're advocating for them. How has your Christian faith, commitment, your Christian faith, animated uh, your own uh, daily work. I think that that's uh, something that folks would very much appreciate you reflecting on, Mark.
1: Well, um, okay, so uh, in terms of lawsuits, uh, and, and I teach a seminar, I teach a trial academy for two days every year where for nine hours a day, I present, and I will we'll sell it out at a thousand plus people even in this COVID year, and, and um, uh, I teach One of my most seminal, foundational, basic secrets of winning lawsuits is pretty simple. It's this, tell the truth. I mean, that's what the legal system is supposed to be about. Tell the truth. And and most lawyers don't think that way. Most lawyers realize it's an adversary system. So one side will be advocating one argument, while the other side is advocating a second argument and are and, the opposite side. And so they clash and a jury decides what's the truth by getting presented two opposing views. Uh, my view is, no, don't have an opposing view that has one aspect of the truth. Get the whole truth there, tell the whole truth, be a person of integrity, and the jury then will figure it out. It doesn't mean you always win because sometimes the when you sort through all of the truth, you're not on the winning side, but it means you're always pursuing justice, which is what you should do. Now that infuses the second end of it and that is we do uh, live in a time, as most every society has, where you've got to argue for truth to expand to everybody. If you go back and you read um, Aristotle's uh, politics, uh, Aristotle in his politics, first of all, he's of course uh, after Plato, Plato's still alive for for Aristotle for a good bit of his life, but, but Plato's already written The Republic which goes through some of the political machinations. But Aristotle comes in, explains why Plato was wrong on some stuff. And Aristotle says, you've got three basic kinds of government. You've got a monarchy, uh, monarchos uh, in the Greek. All of these words come from the Greek that we use in political science today. You've got a monarchy ruled by one, aristocracy ruled by a a small group, or um, what he would call a constitutional government where you're ruled by the city state or the, the populace at large. And, and, and Aristotle said, but all of those governments have to be divided into two categories. Does the ruler rule for personal gain or does the ruler rule for the fairness and the good of the populace? That struggle has always been there. That's the difference between a kingship in Aristotelian language or a tyranny for a monarchical ruler. In an aristocracy, it's the difference between an oligarchy where they're ruling for their own benefit are uh, an aristocracy where they're not. Um, in, in, and <laughs> that's actually the word democracy is where the mass rules for the mass of the poor people's benefit as opposed to, to what he considered to be the higher form. But regardless, that same struggle was there in Israel. So you've got the prophets crying out. You've got Micah and Amos. Amos cries out that justice should roll forth like a mighty rushing stream because the haves Are taking advantage of the have-nots. Those powerful are taking advantage of the weak. And so uh, you've got a passage like Micah. Now, I don't typically quote scripture in, do I have three minutes to tell a story or are we running out of time? No,
0: you have three minutes. We have three minutes, please.
1: Okay. So I don't normally use scripture itself in a trial uh, directly, but I had a case I was trying in a small county in South Texas where the, the, The pastor of the First Baptist Church was on my jury panel, and he's sitting there front center of the jury. And eight of the other jurors, by my memory, went to church with him. And so I'm in the middle of a church-going jury and a church-going trial, and my defense in the case was, I mean, my my, uh, argument in the case was uh, I was suing two fellows who had tried to lie their way out of their exposure of what they've done. So I stand up in closing argument, and I began this way. I said, uh, I don't normally quote scripture in the trial. However, you've heard the expression preaching to the choir. I sort of feel like I get to preach to the preacher here. And he laughed, and everybody laughed. And because and, everybody knew however the preacher went on the jury, that's the way the jury was going. I mean, eight of those people call him pastor, and they look to him for their spiritual leadership. They're not going to turn away from him here. So I said, uh, so the text for my closing argument slash sermon is from the Old Testament Michael, who in the sixth chapter, the eighth verse, asks this question, what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers it. And his very first answer is to do justice. And then it's to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You are here to do the very first thing that God required of of the recipients of Micah's prophetic voice. You are here to do justice. I said, as for uh, loving mercy, I said, these two fellows that have tried to lie their way out of trouble are 24 and 26 years old. The best mercy you can give them is teach them you can't lie yourself out of trouble. We try to teach that to our kids by third grade. Somehow they've made it to their 20s and not learned it yet. Don't let them get past, let them learn it now. So this is my, and so I I say, now, why is this justice? And I launch into the closing argument. Now, the defense lawyer did not know me. This is before I'd hit a level of notoriety that that, uh, uh, I may be at now legally. And so the defense fellow just figured I was like most lawyers who stand up and quote some passage out of scripture, but no more care about the Bible than the man in the moon and they just finish and they go to the local saloon and drink themselves under the rug while they chase every skirt that goes by. And so he just figures I'm, a, I'm that kind of a guy who would stoop so low as to find a Bible passage because I have a preacher on the panel. So he stands up. As soon as I'm done and he says, ladies and gentlemen, were you as, as uh, upset as I was over Mr. Lanier's quoting scripture? Did you notice that Mr. Lanier quoted from the Jewish Bible? We're Christians. Sitting there thinking, well, I could make the point that Christians have the old Testament too. Okay. But I'm going to leave that alone. Um, He says, we're Christians. So Mr. Lanier didn't quote the right Bible passage for you. The correct Bible passage that should have been quoted is from the writings of the apostle John. Now, I do that Evelyn Wood speed reading in my brain because he inhaled for a moment. So in that moment, I scan through the entire gospel of John and I can't think of any place he's going. I think, well, maybe he's gonna do one of the Johannine epistles. No, I can't find anything there pertaining to the lawsuit. Certainly he could do truth or lies from there, but no, that's not gonna help him. And then I thought, Revelation? Is John the Revelator, the Apostle John? Maybe he's going there. It does say Satan's the accuser of the brethren, I think, around chapter 10. Maybe he's going to say I'm Satan and I've accused these fellas improperly or something. I got no clue. So I speed read that in my brain, just like bum, 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 as soon as he's talking and he takes that inhale. And I can't figure out where he's going. So now I'll return to what I, is being said to the jury. He says, the correct writings are from the writings of the apostle John inhale who in a letter we call first corinthians said <laughs> and i stand up immediately i fly out of my seat and i say objection your honor and judge and everybody looks at me i said the apostle paul, john did not write first corinthians it was authored by the apostle paul <laughs> And I sit back down. Well, the judge kind of leans back in his chair and he looks up into the sky and he thinks, am I allowed to take judicial notice of this? Meaning there's not evidence in trial, but as a judge, I can just recognize that it's generally accepted as true. Am I allowed to do He leans back, thinks for a second, leans forward into the microphone and he says, going to have to sustain that objection. It was the apostle Paul that wrote 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so at that point, this... Lack of authenticity from the defense lawyer shows that not only were his clients liars, but he wasn't doing too well with the authentic truth himself. And needless to say, the Baptist pastor nearly fell out of his chair laughing over the whole ordeal. Uh, we won that case, um, but rare is it that I actually use scripture uh, uh, in in a trial. It happens on occasion, but but more generally, I try to use the 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 truth of what the scriptures say to live my life and to to try cases.
0: Mark, uh, time spent with you uh, is always energizing and enjoyable and I'm just uh, so immensely grateful. Hey Mark, I often ask uh, guests uh, to conclude our time in prayer and I wondered if uh, I may ask you to just uh, close us in a word of prayer And hear me simply say again, thank you, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for all the work you do, not only in and through your law firm, but also through the uh, good offices of uh, the Lanier Theological Library, and for your ongoing ministry at Champion Forest as you teach week after week, and then for the writing ministry. I must confess, Mark, that as we were visiting today, I thought to myself, does this guy ever sleep? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the other thing I thought to myself is, it must be wonderful to have a photographic memory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, memory does help. And I thank God for my memory on a regular basis. Um, it doesn't work for numbers very well and it doesn't work for names, but if I read something generally, it's there for a good while. So yeah. I'm thankful for that. Well, thank you, Todd, for this chance. Uh, thank you for all you do to train uh, the, the, the generation. Uh, you, you are at the tip of the spear of, of the kingdom of God's weaponry in the future to to teach and to train and to defend and to do all of the things that God has about for us to do. And it's an honor to call you not not just a, an associate, but it's a very dear honor to me to call you a friend. And so thank you for this chance. And if people would join me in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we do come before you with joy in our hearts and enthusiasm in in the sense of, of excitement over your presence within us. Um, Father, we want to know you better. We want to know you more. And we recognize even praying for that means that we're going to be walking in difficulties and in in hard times and times of of challenge because that's where we will learn you more uh, uh, in some ways that we couldn't otherwise. But that's worth it, Father, because we want to know you. We wanna be able to teach you. We wanna be able to share with you. We wanna learn how we can rejoice in suffering. We want to model for this world, the brightness and light that we have from our abiding, confident expectation in how you will see this world to its uh, uh, rightful end. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you for the honor of being your children. And in in you, Father, we get that joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Mark, uh, grateful. Tell our friends at the library hello. And I hope you get the uh, the hackers uh, all sorted out.
1: God's bigger than the internet. And the hack did not surprise God.
0: I, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of uh, a linear argument. And something tells me they have uh, gotten on the wrong side.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm thinking about hiring a mercenary army to go over to Moldova or wherever it was. But instead, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. Uh, uh, pray for us. And uh, God's, God's, God's bigger than the Internet. I mean, come on. We yeah. worship a God who's in control. So all we got to do is figure out the most godly way to behave and trust him with the outcome.
0: Amen, Mark, it's great to see you. Look forward to seeing you in person very soon. Take back at you. Bye-bye, gang. Thanks for your work. Uh Uh-huh.